This is the Melbourne Pen Show 2019. Hello, scribes and scribblers. This is the first, I guess, meeting, no, the second meeting of the Sydney and Melbourne pen crew for the nib section. I have with me Sharon Zah. Hello, hello. Kevin Yank. Hello. Mel Sanders. Hi. And I'm Diana Dye, <laughs> producer in chief. Um, we are wrapping up the day at the Melbourne Pen Show 2019 here at the Melbourne Town Hall. It is about 2.30 in the afternoon. Most of our shopping has already been done. I think the organisers are trying to get their the last sales of the day yeah, through. They're prices out there. They're cutting prices out there. They're saying, hey, we're about to close down, so we'll give you an extra good deal. Okay, then I, I bought my pens at a good time then. <laughs> Oh, we have to remember that I probably won't catch you if you speak from there. So you have to like tell me to move the, the mic over. Put your hand up. Sharon just says, put your hand up if you want to be on the mic. Sharon and I are in for basically the day. We're flying back this afternoon. Mel and Kevin have been both heavily involved, um, I think, in the running of the show. No, Kevin's... Kevin's shaking his head. I've been heavily just following Mel around, (laughs) admiring all of the amazing things she's doing for the show. Mel, you want to take some credit for this? Yeah, I'll take all credit, any credit, credit card. (laughs) Um, Mel ran a tour for newbies at 10 o'clock, and last year was my first year at the Penn Show, and that is what I was missing. I walked into the hall, and I was... Uh, ashamed of my lack of knowledge and I sheepishly walked past all of the booze and was afraid to talk to anyone and Mel broke that ice wide open she had a she had a crew of 20 people following her around and they visited every single booth including the nice ladies doing calligraphy up on stage Margaret and Margaret and uh, it, it was amazing I was jealous of those people having their first uh, pen show experience that way excellent I think I'm going to turn the mic to Mel then. Um, why don't we just start with running down what you did um, with the show this year, what you've changed, I guess. Uh, when I'm saying you, I don't mean you personally, but the organisers in general, um, what has been done this year to encourage newcomers and also to make the show more accessible um, to the wider audience. And also, what have you personally been responsible for this year? Just give us a rundown. Okay, so I was given feedback last year that uh, people, newbies, were walking in, looking around and going, what do I do here? Where do I go? Who do I talk to? I'm too nervous to talk to anybody. This is really – I feel really – Overwhelmed. Yeah, I feel really overwhelmed. And that was feedback that was given to me from a couple of retailers – that um, people had visited their shops afterwards and said that they felt really um, overwhelmed by the whole experience. So I told Silvana, who's on the committee, that I was just going to run a newbie tour just to introduce anybody that wanted to go on it to the exhibitors by first name so that they could have a conversation, break the ice and pretty much just enjoy their experience slightly more than they would have otherwise. And I think that went pretty well. 
I hope so. I think everybody got something out of it. I really wanted to focus on, I suppose, because a lot of our stalls are vintage. I wanted to focus on the the lower end or the starter vintage, or actually the lower end or the starter end of every sort of exhibitor, so that it's just a nice, gentle introduction to fountain pens in general, really, because a lot of the people that I took around didn't own a fountain pen. And just with the pen show in general... I'm not actually on the committee. <laughs> I just get asked to do the social media um, side of things. This year for the Melbourne Pen Show, we've had to open up to an entirely new room. So we've got our main ballroom set up and then we've got an extra room off to the side. This year it had Robert Oster's ink play, the pay it forward table, our Gruff on Faber-Castell showcase, pensive pens, fountain pen supplies and um, not just a card from Cyrus. So that's, I think that room has been running hot all day. Um, Robert Oster Ink Play obviously contributes a lot of people to that room. They want to come, they want to play, they want to swatch. Um, and I think it's a really good initiative to get people in the door and trying, you know, their hand at swabbing and, and trying all the inks before you just duck across the road to or the, the alleyway to buy them to, to the next table. In fact, I'm looking at Kevin. Um, he's got spread out in front of him a bunch of Robert Oster swap cards. With Are these just colours that you managed to swap at the ink testing station? Yeah, that's right. So I had heard of this swatch play thing mentioned online, but I never actually knew what it was. Uh, so I knew something called swatch play would be here. And um, I guess... I never really saw the appeal of going and doing swatches of colors you don't own. Uh, But having spent a little time at that table today, I realized, you know, I know I want a red and I can't decide which red I want yet. So I swatched all the reds and now I can make up my mind later. Uh, and, and not by looking at, uh, you know, previews on the internet that are never quite exactly right, but looking at actual swatches that I made myself. And so I had a lot of fun over there. I went back three times to get three different sets of colors. I, I swatched their purpley blue ones, their oranges, their reds. And I also picked up a, a two set of the day and night ink, which is only available to buy at their swatch play, uh, booths went, w- that they travel around with. The night one is a Especially amazing. It's like this dark, brooding blue-green. So the night one reminds me of Lamy Petrol from last year, year before, year before, <laughs> year before. Um, yeah, they look great actually. Yeah, there's a bit of similarity, but probably a little bit less green than Petrol. I think um, the Patrick from Robert Oster, he was at the Sydney show earlier in the year. And I know he's been doing the rounds of the like multiple shows. He was in San Fran, I believe, and also in Tokyo recently. So he's really making this, um, what's it called, the ink play, um, the swatch play, like a global initiative. And I think that's really, really great because they, Robert Oster, he produces so many inks. It's really overwhelming. Like when you have almost 100 inks, it's great to be able to see them all in person and test them before you buy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, for newbies, it's great too because they can just go and play and there is no there is no pressure to buy. Exactly, because it's just the testing station. They don't actually retail. You, to, to buy the inks, you have to go to one of the, the retailers who are also at the show. Yeah, so I think it's a really smart move on Robert's behalf and um, – and I think Patrick's doing a great job. I think he was in Turkey last week. Like, <laughs> Both of the people at that booth, they, they 
they sit you down, they get you playing, and then they ask, you know, what was your first fountain pen? What was your first ink? Have you bought Robert Oster ink before? And how did that come about? They, they just engage people in the conversation as well, which feels really like genuine. So Mel, I got to the show um, this morning fairly late because I had some technical issues. <laughs> um, I bought the wrong SD card for my recorder. Um, and so I had to wait for the stores to open up on a Sunday so I could buy a card. But when I arrived, you were just doing your newbie tour. Is that a, is that a bad word to use, newbie? We called it the newbie ice breaker. So NIB. The NIB tour. Yeah. So Mel was walking around the, uh, the main ballroom with like 15, 20 people. Um, following her like little ducklings <laughs> and it was it looked really great um, because I I know that you you're unlikely to go into I know what you like you like your VP <laughs> you like your um, your good stationery you like the stickers and you like the stuff that are really really appealing to newbies right as far as I know you're not hugely into vintage so I think you you really pointed out the highlights of the show which would be the most interesting to someone who's never been to the show before and I wanted to point out the most accessible things to a newbie that's never been to the show before walking in and it's just a whole bunch of vintage in front of you which for my first pen show there was a lot of vintage in front of me and I think I walked out of my first pen show with just a glass dip pen from my hardy timber box and that was it so yeah i just hope that i've made it slightly more accessible for a few more people yeah i think you've accomplished that um is it something that you think you'll be doing regularly yeah i think we'll definitely do it again next year and uh tom may i'm putting it on record that you are down to do a vintage tour next year rain hail or shine you are locked in because now it's on record and you can't get out of it next year You've heard it now, Tom May. <laughs> it's in the public domain. You are hooked. We'll give him time to go around first and buy any of the pens he <laughs> wants to before he has to give the tour. Yeah, so newbie tour in the morning, vintage tour maybe after lunch yeah. in the afternoon. Yeah. yeah, that's it. After we've had a bit of lunch and a bit of a drink and are all refreshed. We haven't heard a lot from Sharon so far. She flew in on a very early flight this morning just to attend the show. What have your thoughts on the day so far? Um, 4am is a really tough start to the day. Uh, 4.30am is still a tough start to the day when you miss the first, uh, um, alarm for the, uh, for the day. Otherwise, um, Malvern's quite far away from the airport. It is. Wait, wait, is this your first Melbourne pen show? No, the last time I went to was 2008, where I had violent food poisoning the night before. So I was grumpy all day during the Melbourne Pen Show, and I didn't leave it feeling well disposed. Yeah, let's let's go with that. Um, so due to a technical difficulty last Sunday, we are recording exactly one week later uh, on November the 17th, also a Sunday night. Unfortunately, Kevin couldn't make it. He's at a concert, I believe. He's performing. He's performing. Yeah, he's at the theatre. Um, what is it? Theatre sports. Wow. I had no idea. He does have that great voice. Yeah, or he's emceeing. He has that sort of voice that sounds great over a mic. So I can totally imagine him performing or, um, yeah, as you said, doing an MC. Perfect radio voice. Um, but I do have back with me Mel, as you just heard. Hello. And Sharon. Hello. 
I believe last Sunday, we were up to Sharon and you were, I think, in a state of complete sleep deprivation, but you were talking about your experience at your last Melbourne Pen show in 2008. And apart from food poisoning, uh, what was your impression of the event? Um, so my impression of the 2008 um, pen show was that there were quite a few similar um, uh, retailers or uh, exhibitors. Yeah, so there were quite a few retailers who were still the same, so a lot of familiar faces. But um, overall, I think it's a much younger crowd nowadays. Um, this year, I was really surprised by the turnout and the fact that it wasn't all people who were looking to get some type of uh, vintage pens, whereas I felt the focus in 2008 was predominantly vintage and um, paper goods. So uh, Fiorenza Luxuries was still there and they had probably the biggest selection of paper goods at the time, but there wasn't much in the way of inks um, definitely no swatch and play and there wasn't um, all that much in the way of Midori which had a big presence this year with uh, book binders. Fiorenza was also there this year but they didn't have any paper at all from memory. I think they, they did. They, they did. They? they had the they had the leather folios. Remember? Yes, um, the but not covers. paper by its own. They had a couple of odds and ends, but not a lot. No, because in two thousand and eight, they were really pushing the. I think it's called the Siak brand. C I A K. Yes, Larry Post also, I think, carries that brand. Oh, it's terrible paper for fountains. <laughs> it bleeds all over shop. I I did buy one of those notebooks back in 2008 and I think I got to using it maybe about three or four years ago <laughs> and it was pretty shocking. That's a shame. They're really nice journals though. They've got like the nice leather covers, the yeah. really sturdy elastic band in the centre. Um, come, They come in all sorts of rulings but the paper quality just ain't there. So after the show, um, after I left the show last Sunday, I actually had, because my flight was fairly late in the evening, um, I had a chat with Nicholas Gold, friend of the pod, Nick. Um, we, we stopped drinking champagne by the that stage we were moving on to whiskies i tried some local melbourneian locally made whiskey it's pretty oh, cool. good i don't yeah. remember what it was called oh, um, Diana. <laughs> it's it's not my area of expertise i have to check with, with yeah, nick what it we'll was but it was really nice we got into this conversation about how the organizing committee has been the composition mm -hmm. of the committee has changed in the over the last couple of years mm -hmm. And how they've been trying to sort of update and revitalize the tone of the show yeah. and to bring new audiences um, into it. And I think we both commented on the fact that the show, so it's been going through this change over the last three years or so, and it's still in this transition phase, I think. And um, we don't really know what the end product will be exactly because right now you have uh, still a lot of the original vendors who have been coming for like over a decade maybe two decades for as long as the show has been running yeah um and then, and then you also have the new retailers who are generating a lot of sales at the show and it, i i don't have a great sense of what um 
what that relationship is like, whether people feel like um, it's a good thing. Yeah, whether it's cohesive or not is another Yes, whether there's um, a good question. enough balance, yes. right, or whether there should be more modern um, or more vintage. It's been interesting to watch from year to year how that's been shifting. And similarly in Sydney, because we've only had our second show this year, um, there's also been that change. So we're also in the process of sort of developing into something that we don't know what the end result is going to be like. Um, I would like to see more used and vintage pens at the Sydney Pen Show and um, so that would be something I would like to see us trending towards but I also love the fact that we have a lot of you know fresh um, local retailers who have so much you know stock um, that you can see in person. Yeah I think that Melbourne is definitely gearing more towards uh, the sort of the more cohesive mix and I think that maybe next year um, they'll have to look at the way that the tables are set up so that it's not just when you walk in, it's vintage, 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 vintage. And then when you walk into the second room, it's modern swatch play. Um, you know, the Faber-Castell was in the second room. Um, the Fountain Pen Supplies was in the second room. And it was sort of – it was kind of a pitting um, – I suppose Bookbinders was in the first room, but they were almost – vintage versus modern in a sort of in the room setup um and I think that has been some of my feedback to the organizers or it will be some of my feedback to the organizers that the table maybe the the table setup and the table selection of previous sellers and exhibitors needs to be wiped clean and mixed around a little bit yeah, just a disclaimer to the listeners, um, Sharon, Mel and I, none of us are actually part of the decision makers for the shows. No, 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 no. Mel is involved in the public relations and the marketing, I believe. Yeah, just the social media. In the social media. And for Sydney, um, Sharon and I are not involved with the organising of the show at all. So this is you know, just us giving our feedback on what we've seen of the last few shows that we've attended. Mm. I, I would say that I'm not sure that they actually needed the second breakout room. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was nice, but that second breakout room felt quite cramped in comparison to the main room, which was very, very spacious. Yeah. And I think if um, next year they were revisiting the setup, I, I actually reckon all the exhibitors would fit in the main room. Mm. And the other thing about the breakout room was that it didn't get much ventilation. So it was significantly hotter in the breakout room than it was in the main room. And especially because that's also where you had the swatch and play, you had the graph on Faber-Castell displays. It, there was a lot of uh, enticement for people to stick around in that breakout room with no ventilation whatsoever. Yeah. It was really, really stuffy in there. Really good feedback too, um, Sharon. Let's turn back a little bit and – do you guys still remember what you were writing with last Sunday? <laughs> yes. Well, let's start with you, Mel. What are you writing with? What were you writing with? I was writing with my trusty uh, Twisby Eco, just a standard demonstrator, clear model with a fine nib. Um, and it was filled, or it is still filled because it's they fill and they last for ages, um, with Noodler's Lexington Grey um, because it's my sketching and watercolour pen um, and Lex Grey has that water-resistant property to it. Not a VP. Not a VP. Don't sketch with the VPs. The, the capacity is just not big enough for when I travel. Yeah, good reason. How about you, Sharon? 
I was writing with a ballpoint pen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was writing with a Lamy Linear in the herringbone finish, which um, I I wish Kevin was still around so he could ooh and ah and give us all of the uh, Lamy history ah. (laughs) about the Linear range and how it was such an underrated range. Um. But since Kevin's not around, let me insert my two cents on the Lamy Linear range. Um, Lamy Linear, they're more famous in Australia, at least, and more commonplace uh, for their ballpoint pens. It's got a great click mechanism to it where it's semi-muted, but it's not like the Caran d'Ache 849, 849, where it's a silent click. This one's got a an audible click, but it's not super clicky. It's kind of like a semi-silent click, if that makes any sense. Um, it's got this really smooth mechanism on it, and it, it is very popular as a uh, just a regular, slim, non-tapered uh, barrel um, ballpoint pen. Now, they actually came out with this same design in a fountain pen as well. It had a weird plastic grip section, which was sort of ribbed. Um, in, yeah, a plastic ribbed grip section. So it wasn't very comfortable to hold, but it was a very stylish and slim pen, which is unlike most of the other Lamy pens that you can get these days. It had so, certain similarities to the CP1, which is available, but it w- came in at a great price. I think it was around about the $40, $50 mark mm. with a stainless steel nib. It was kind of like that one step up from uh, a Lamy All-Star. But for some reason, Lamy Australia stopped bringing them in like years and years and years ago, even when I worked for, uh, for Lamy, they stopped bringing them in because they said it wasn't selling and they wanted to push the CP1 range more, which is a real pity because I just think this was one of the nicest pens because it was all metal. Um, it was all metal. It uh, was quite an understated pen. It looked like a gel or a rollerball pen that you could get. Um, and it was the right width. It was a very familiar diameter to what most people were using on a day-to-day basis. It looks a bit like um, a mechanical pencil, the, yeah. the ballpoint you have. Yeah, it comes in a mechanical pencil uh, ah. format. Uh, but again, I think maybe not anymore in Australia, at least. Um, I'd have to check that. But it's a really good looking pen and I happen to really love the linear range. They came in a lot of, lot of other designs as well, but the herringbone's probably my favorite. Yeah, I'm looking at the photo now and, um, the herringbone, it looks like almost like a guilloche sort of pattern. It's like a chevron, chevron cross, uh, arrows. Mm. I think it would be too slim for me, um, maybe for, for the weight. I don't like pens that are heavy and slim. It's not heavy because I think this one is aluminium. It's actually an aluminium pen. It's not that heavy. Okay. I'm actually writing with an aluminium pen. And it is the one that you already mentioned that has the muted click mechanism. So can you hear that at all? Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. a little bit. And it's the Caran d'Ache 849. It's the pink and purple one that I used before on the show. I had this with me last Sunday because it's always in my bag. And it's just a perfect pocket ballpoint. Awesome. I can't remember what Kevin was actually using. Was he? He was using a traveler's notebook. The brass one. Traveler's brass pen. And Sharon, you had the Franklin Christoph. I had an uninked Franklin Christoph and Mm -hmm. a very pretty Decimo. Why don't you talk about this Decimo? 
this Decimo is a Machier Decimo. And I think we did take some photos of it. Yes, I'm looking at the photo now. It looks great. So it is an aftermarket Machier, but it is sold by one particular store in Japan, uh, in Shizuoka. Um, and it's a weird one where they won't ship online. You have to physically make the trek to the mm. store. Mm-hmm. And the store is kind of in the middle of nowhere. You have to take a train and then a bus, I believe. And I've never taken a bus in Japan. Um, but I had the fortune of picking one of these up. And, um, yeah, it's a great pen. It's a very good looking pen. The Makie finish feels quite nice. It's slightly raised. Um, and it's a very simple design. It's just got some cherry blossoms on the standard, uh, dark red decimo. And how many of these aftermarket Makie decimos did you get? Let's just say one for the moment. (laughs) (laughs) I expect a group photo. Good call. A good group photo at some stage. Yeah, you might be waiting a while. But um, I heard uh, through the grapevine, Mel, that um, the new Japan Special Edition Decimos are making their way to Australia. Keep your eye out this week for an announcement, I believe. Ooh, care to share? No, I don't think I should. (laughs) Oh, that's so exciting. Um, so ladies, we are all ladies today. Um, (laughs) what did we pick up at the Melbourne Pen Show? I bought nothing. That's easy. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, no, that is not correct. I, um, gave a donation to the lovely ladies at the Victorian, um, Calligraphy Society to Margaret and Margaret, and they did some beautiful hand lettering of, um, a bookmark for myself with my name on it and a bookmark for Adeline, which is my daughter with her name on it in beautiful rainbow ink. Um, it was pretty cool and she was very happy with that. That's all. They look great. Um, there'll be yes. a photo of that on our, probably on our Facebook and our Instagram. So cool. you can also enjoy the Victorian Calligraphy Society. Society. Or the Society, yeah. The Society Calligraphy of- Calligraphy Society of Victoria, maybe? Those three words in whatever <laughs> order. <laughs> um, they were doing demonstrations or workshops at the show? Um, they u- they do usually do workshops, but um, I think they were low on volunteers this year. So they just had um, a few members up on the stage in the ballroom and you could go um, and get your name done on a bookmark or you could ask for some help or some guidance with whatever um, technique of script you were after and they were more than happy to help whoever came up to the stage was they're quite lovely ladies I really like the one they did for Addie it's really colorful yeah and had little glitter on it and all that Uh all sorts of stuff it was lovely and like calligraphy society of Victoria yeah it was cool yeah calligraphy society of Victoria go check them out yes perfect how about you, Sharon? Did you get a bottle uh, of the Rob Roster Show Inc.? I don't remember. If I you did. did. It was actually my only purchase of the day. I bought a bottle of uh, Robert Oster's Flaming Blue, which was released at the Melbourne Pen Show. Uh, did you get Krabby's? And I got we a Krabby, did. Actually. We both yes, did. Yes, I got a Krabby. I got a crab from Fountain Pen Supplies. Um, <laughs> those were my two only purchases. I bought a couple of raffle tickets and, yeah, that was about it. Nothing really caught my eye. Um, I mean, there was probably one Franklin Christoph at Yakov's table that sort of caught my eye until I saw the price and then I went, ooh. <laughs> um, nothing really was my cup of tea um, over there. I mean, I saw some 
reasonably priced uh, regular decimos um, and I was going to bite the bullet on them, but uh, a couple of them had dents in them. So Ooh. I was just a little bit more cautious about that. Um, I mean, there was a uh, Piccadilly Circus, so M620 Pelican Piccadilly Circus for a bargain price Which of 400. Eileen got. Yes, yes, Eileen bought that one. Um but other than that, there was nothing really that caught my eye, which is a bit of a pity. Um, I was a little bit disappointed, not going to lie. I was hoping to go, screw it, take my credit card, take my money. But no, I was very reserved. Like Sharon, I got a, I got a red crab pen holder from Pen Supplies. I also got uh, from Not Just a Card, a full set of Pilot Parallels. So the story behind that is, when I was at Sydney, I actually wrote down in a note to myself that I really wanted to get all four of the Pilot Parallels because I've been into pens all this time and I've never owned a Pilot Parallel. Just like I've never owned a Platinum Preppy, actually. Mm. Me neither. I've never owned a Preppy either. Me either. I've written with them, but I've just – there was no point in me – getting something so light um, when I have my Kikunos. But, but Pilot Parallels are really, there's nothing quite like them. So I thought it was worth it to just get the whole set. Um, and I don't practice lettering or calligraphy, but every once in a while I like to do flourishes and just play with ink. They look like great nibs for playing with light coloured shading inks. So I got the full set of those. Um, I also got a bottle of Kyono Oto ink, uh, number seven, Hisoku, I believe. Hisoku. Hisoku, also from Mm. Cirrus. Who was it that was complaining that those inks are really, really dry? Me. We all were. (laughs) Yes, we all know that they're really dry, but I think... (laughs) Maybe in a pilot parallel, it will work okay. Yeah, um, I think so. I, I got a bottle of the Robert Oster Show Ink, the Flaming Blue, which I haven't tried yet, and I'll explain to you at the end why. Um, I also, at the end of the day, Sharon and I went to my Hardy Timber Box, and I got from Tingo two Opus 88s, which fit number six nibs because I wanted – pens that are not parallel sized but to fit parallel nibs so I got a, a Calora demonstrator in the orange and an Omar in the green with this beautiful like a flecked uh, resin cap it looks really good the Omar the green's great yeah yes it's beautiful design I, I really like the work at Opus 88 are doing with their designs but those two pens will have Pilot Parallel nibs shifted onto them at some point and what else did I get? I think that was it. Like Sharon, I also got some raffle tickets but then we didn't stick around to hear the actual calling of the raffles because we had a very long lunch. You didn't win the raffle because I drew the raffle. So. Oh no. <laughs> you should have drawn better. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't had a time to test any of my pens or my inks yet because um, they're with me yes there was Sharon um <laughs> I was flying Jetstar Sharon was flying Qantas I had a very limited carry on and check-in limit so Sharon offered to, to take all my purchases with her and hopefully I'll see her in the next few weeks so I can I can try this really really dry um, ink, ink. Ink. <laughs> dirty big fat nib <laughs> in a big fat nib and also see what the flaming blue looks like it it's a really dark blue with sheen I believe yeah I think it's been described as a blurple 
um, with a oh, red shade. Not my favourite. Not my favourite colour. I know. <laughs> Diana hates blurfuls. Mm. It's just not her cup of tea. I, on the other hand, love blurfuls. I'm all about blurfuls. Yeah, I haven't cracked mine open either. So there's, yeah, just not enough hours in the day sometimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm really keen to try those uh, Opus 88s with the Pilot Parallel nibs though. I think that's a really great hack. Those pens are perfect for parallels because they hold so much ink. And with a Pilot Parallel, you really do appreciate having that huge reservoir. So you can just basically paint um, <laughs> whatever ink you're using heavily onto a page um, and just go all out. So, Mel, in the week since the show, um, have mm. you had a chance to, aside from the feedback you've given to the organisers and I guess Silvana, um, have you also heard back from any of the vendors? I uh, spoke, I've talked to Ada and I think she had a pretty good day. She didn't go, uh, sorry, from Bookbinders Design um, and I think they had a pretty good day. I believe Max from Fountain Pen Supplies had a good day as well. It was she's like a brand new startup company, so I think it was just fantastic for her to get out into the public space and show everybody physically show everybody what she's got. Yeah, that was Max's first show, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. She's only been going for probably probably not even 6 months in an online space. And I think her kits, her everything in the box maintenance kits sold out on the day. So that was fantastic. And I think the crabs were 95% gone as well, which is fantastic. But yeah, people were buying things like ink lubricator and they've got these um, fantastic, or Max has got these fantastic um, paper samplers. So it's I think it's got like 16, sorry, Max, if that's wrong, 16 different types of fountain pen paper that are in notebooks or loose leaf that you can try out and see what you like. And I think really good things for sort of beginners as well, just to dip their toe into things um, with literally zero commitment to a whole notebook or a whole pad of paper that you might not like. Yeah, I think um, Max at Fountain Pen Suppliers, I think she's been really smart at curating what her store uh, holds and what it offers and really filling that niche of things that I believe there used to be um, a store online in Australia that sold things like, you know, pipettes and rubber um, grips and things like that. But I think, was that just right? Uh, um, yeah, perhaps, yes. Yeah, but they don't – I haven't heard a lot from Just Right recently and I don't know yeah, if that no. web store is still operating. I believe people were having issues getting communication um, through to deliveries <laughs> yeah deliveries not being fulfilled um, no response to emails <laughs> don't mm. know what's happening with just rights but we can all attest that max is a real person mm -hmm. fountain yes. pen supplies is a very legitimate store they do really good packs of ink samples as well i think yeah the ink beautifully curated yeah the ink sampler, um, I think it's like a, a, a pack of six or more per month for $30 and you can sign up monthly, um, but there is only a, sh um, a certain amount um, that she sells per month. So uh, that's open now and I don't know if there will be any left by the time this pod goes live um, on Friday. But, yeah, if you can get into that, it's inks that are not commonly found in Australia usually. Um, so she has a real knack of getting these really unique Asian European inks that are not easy to find here. So yeah, a really good chance to sample some stuff that you haven't maybe seen before. 
So in one of her previous um, boxes, so she curates them by themes. Mm-hmm. And she had, I think it would have been a month or two months ago, uh, she had a flora theme, so all flowers. And um, in that one, there was the uh, Yaqing style bellflower. Uh, bellflower. And I can attest to the fact that Max actually came to the Sydney pen show, shoved a number of people out of the way <laughs> to get that ink. And she had, she, I think she picked up about two or three bottles of it. Um, so you can imagine there are 30 mil bottles. You can imagine how limited those uh, ink box subs- subscriptions were. Absolutely. Um, if you are keen on them, go and sign up straight away. Yeah, I believe um, they open. So new orders open every month or so. So mm-hmm. just maybe follow them on Instagram and you'll be updated when orders, they're taking new orders again. Absolutely. And she has a, a sign-up link, I think, for her newsletter. And, yeah, I think if you're signed up to the newsletter, perhaps you get notice early that they're going live. So that's something to think about as well. Great. Support your local retailers. Yes. Well, we really miss Kevin. Um because he was also at the show and I think because he wasn't actually working the show, he had a lot more time to, you know, play around at the Swatch Play, see all the retailers who don't just supply Lamy. I don't think yes. he got any Lamy's on the day. No, I think he's got them all already. <laughs> I think he's slightly getting into um, VPs now as well. I take no blame for that. <laughs> Do you know which VP he has? The last two years, I think. Um, the last two limited editions, and I think he's got a white one, a, car- a white carbonesque as well. Oh, hey, did you see the the new ones? The, the new, new VP ones? that Ahmed showed. Good grief! Yeah. <laughs> They're so gross. They're ugly, ugly as. Well, I, I don't, I don't have such a violent reaction to them as you did, <laughs> um, because you had a genuinely violent you reaction, did. which was WTF. Why? My it eyes. looks all wrong. So <laughs> assaulted. What is with the asymmetry? What is going on? <laughs> and, like there was just a lot of that when you first saw them. Um, and I believe it's meant to be a, a fusion of the mm. VP and Fermo. Yes. Yep. Without the bulkiness of the Fermo, um, the back end of the Fermo. So instead they've got like this little metallic tabby bit which creates the asymmetry that you loathe so much Mm. yes because well it so if the (laughs) okay i'm just lost i've got to look at the photo again um we'll put a photo online i believe there's no press release for it in english yet but it's been spread around in the japanese pen circles and there's been a photo of it on fpo for the last day or so and it's a newer, more expensive, I believe, Much version of expensive. the Capless, which is like a cross between a Fermo and a Vanishing Point. The front end looks almost exactly like a Vanishing Point. Except the clip. Yeah. The clip is different and the clip doesn't have the nice taper that you actually enjoy from a vanishing point. Yeah, One of the actually... only reasons why you would get a vanishing point over a decimo is because the clip is so much nicer. But you know and what the... does have a taper? The middle of the body. It has this really weird Weed looking ridge. cinched waist. Mm. It's like someone. Took... back in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
but it's in this shiny silver color and it's just, it's not doing it for me. And then the most hideous part of the pen is the back end. <laughs> and um, so thanks to Ahmad, he, he mentioned that a Google translation of the Japanese description said that the pen is a click to extend the nib. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a little tab which works like the Fermo retraction mechanism, and that's to retract the nib. And the selling point of this pen is apparently that it has a very quiet click. So, But only to retract? Would it only be a quiet, like the quiet spin to retract? It would still be the noisy click to extend the nib? Well, my theory is that the noise from extending the nib in the VP is mostly from the spring. So Mm -hmm. if you remove the spring, which is necessary for the retraction, then it's Mm -hmm. not going to be as loud, right? So So why wouldn't they just put the spinny bit for retract and like the little, just a little thumb flick either way to extend and retract the nib and then there would be no use for the click? Exactly. So, but that, that would be a fermo. Oh, doesn't the whole middle of the body move for the fermo, Sharon? No, it's just the back end of it. Uh, There's like a little grippy section on the back that you twist. Yeah. It's not really a one-handed release. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one with the tab at the back looks like it could be a one-handed release. Yes. Yes, one-handed it, but also asymmetric. It's it's very asymmetric going um, vertically down the pen. So if you take a like a slice from – tip of the barrel to the very end of the pen it's just it's all wrong it looks wrong they'd want to line up when it's the clip and the the thumb flicky bit yeah the that's propeller. the technical term the propeller would want to line up when the nibs retracted otherwise it would just look really silly well i, I can't wait to see this in person um Me but either. I'm, I'm not really it's doing I'm not it for very, you. Uh, it's doing nothing for me, and the price not is not doing much students. for me either. No. So the price, uh, the listed price is uh, Japanese yen thirty five thousand, which is almost five hundred Australian dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a yeah. lot more than a VP, and it's more than a Fermo. <laughs> you could get two, <laughs> two <laughs> VPs or two Fermos for that price. Although to be fair, the Fermo colors are pretty ugh. I don't know. Yeah, they're boring. Because they're pretty ugh. I really like that purple though in the new the new ones. The the burgundy purple or the blurple? Yeah. If it's if it's more of a the burgundy, if it's more of a purple purpley, yeah, then I'll uh, consider it, perhaps, depending on funds. <laughs> That's the news of this episode. All three of us we use vanishing points in our daily lives, I believe. It's one of the most popular everyday pens. And this is just such a strange direction for um pilot to take i think Mm. so on the vanishing points so i've recently switched up my um decimo from one that i'd been using for like the last year and a half to a new one that i picked up earlier this year in uh, japan so i've switched now to the violet with gold trim japan edition for this year and Oh my gosh, I am newly in love with decimos again, more than I was before, (laughs) because the nib on this one that I've got is phenomenal. It is a fine nib, but it is smoother than any other decimo or vanishing point fine nib that I've ever tried. I don't know if it's because it's the actual gold color with no plating on it. Hey, maybe. It it is just a gold nib. Um, 
like I had a (gasps) moment when I inked it up at work. I had a physical reaction, like a positive physical reaction, not one of Diana's. physical reactions, but I had such a positive reaction to it. And I've just re-fallen in love with them all over again. And it makes me want to test a couple of my other nibs that I've got floating around to see if it is different. Because I've tried many of their rhodium trim nibs. Um, I don't think I've ever tried one of the black ones, or maybe I have, and I just can't remember. I don't own one of the stealth uh, black um, plated nibs, but this is the first gold um really colored one i so gold 18 carat ones yep. that i've tried um for an extended period of time mm-hmm. and it is so different so much better than the rhodium interesting i and it's just taken my breath away it's this new thing where i just can't get enough of it i refuse to use uh, any other uh, vanishing point nib right now because i'm so in love with this one Wow. I just, I love it. We have to do a side by side comparison yeah. of the two nibs. Yeah, to, for science. absolutely. Next time, um, I'll ink up another rhodium one. It's just not the same. I'm telling you, this whole plating thing ruins the nibs. That's interesting. I'll have to get mine out because I'm pretty sure because my um, my Galaxy, my Raden Galaxy is branded Namiki, and the nib is branded Namiki as well. And I'm sure that's a gold-coloured nib, not a rhodium-plated nib. So I'm going to have to test out your theory, mate. Because mm, mine is a Pilot-branded um, pilot branded 2019 nib, um, non-plated, just in the reg- in the gold colour, 18-carat fine, and I've compared it next to about two other fine nibs, and it's just not the same. Ooh. It's really not the same. Some homework for me this week. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ink up a couple of other of the gold ones to compare. It's gotten me all excited because now I'm even thinking I could go down to an extra fine in the vanishing points because I normally I hate that extra fine in the rhodium plate. But since I've had such a positive reaction to the gold-coloured ones, I might actually give it a spin. I'm yeah, I used it. to have an EF rhodium um, plated, and it's it, terrible. It it was so screechy, like it sang, but not in this pleasant um, screechy noise. It was just like it wasn't scratchy, but it just you could feel the vibration up the nib, and it made this really annoying high pitched noise every time I wrote with this. Drove me crazy. I bought one of Sharon. And it's exclusively, it's, it's like a, it's exactly what it says it is. It's an extra fine, mm-hmm. a Japanese extra fine. And it's exclusively used in my Hobonichi because it's the only paper that can handle it. Yeah. I can't, I can't stand the extra fine, um, vanishing point nibs. I haven't found a single one that I've liked. Um, I originally thought it must just be, I got a bad one. And then but you then, sold it to me. <laughs> no, it was actually one before I sold to you. It was one yeah. that, um, Brian, I think, had actually swapped ah, me or something. Yeah. He'd swapped me a fine for his extra fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was terrible. I hated it. Mm-hmm. And then I thought I'd try it on a different one. And most of them are very, very similar. And I, I figured it was just I pressed maybe a bit too hard on the nib. Maybe it needs a lighter touch. I don't know. I find it to be too sharp for just normal everyday writing, but quick appointment taking in the Hobonichi. It's, yeah, it's perfect for that. Yeah, all good fans of The Vanishing Point. Mm-hmm. Original edition and the Desiree. 
Yes. But we reserve our right to change our mind when we actually see the new Capless in person. Don't have to like everything. I don't buy every limited edition. Crosslines was just not right. So, you know, mm. you can like them and not have to buy them all, Sharon. That one felt cheap. <laughs> yes. Crosslines felt cheap. It felt unfinished. The lines mm. didn't actually extend didn't, all the way. They didn't They match. didn't line up. Oh. Yes. What an oversight. Like, serious. Anyway. 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 <laughs> Right after we recorded last Sunday at the show and while everyone's packing up, I thought I would go up to Patrick at the Robert Oster Swatch Play and just put myself out there and ask if he'd be willing to talk to us. And he said yes. And I was so glad. Uh, We've been trying to get an interview with Robert Oster for the last however long we've been doing this podcast because people keep asking us why don't you talk to Robert Oster because he's Australian because he lives down the street from us right because <laughs> Australia's just that smaller place so small. rides a kangaroo past <laughs> exactly but Robert Oster is a very private guy I don't know anyone who's seen him in person except for Patrick I don't think even um, the Sydney show organizers have seen Robert Oster or what he looks like um, and they have dealings with him quite regularly But it was so great to talk to Patrick, um, who's been with Robert Oster, I think, from the beginning of his journey, launching Robert Oster Signature. And lots of you around the world, I think, now will have met Patrick. He's been attending a lot of international pen shows. I don't know what his next one will be. He wouldn't tell me. Um, But he was at Sydney and Melbourne this year. He was also at the Dutch pen show recently and in... Uh, Tokyo. But uh, here's my conversation with Patrick. So I'm here with Patrick of Robert Oster, who I've been so eager to talk to all day. And to be honest, ever since August, when I saw him at the Sydney Pen Show, I've really, really wanted to speak to you. How have you been, Patrick? Very well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a great day. Yeah, I've loved it. Like I said, I saw you at the Sydney show where you did the swatch table. Um, Do do you call it the swatch and play? Swatch play, yeah. So it's just a concept of ours, just to give back to the community. Um, A lot of people don't actually get to um, swatch colours directly, you know. Um, So this is just a way where people can have, you know, direct contact with the colours and the inks. Can I ask, how long have you been working with Robert, uh, with Robert Oster Signature? And how did you get into this really, really strange industry, this strange community? Um, Robert and I were involved in a business together in Sydney um, 25 years ago. So that's where I met Robert. And when I met him, he was actually using a fountain pen and dabbling with inks back then. So um, I got a call from him about four years ago just saying look I'm actually you know developing my inks and putting them out for commercial release so would you like to come and help me out um and I said why not so that's 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 the history of Robert and I yeah and how I've become involved with the ink so I've sort of like I handle the PR stuff and also um the financial side of the business as well so can I ask are you a fountain pen user or have you become a fountain pen user through working with Robert on these things well actually Robert gave me a fountain pen way back then um, <laughs> which I you know I was quite amazed that he was actually using a fountain pen when I first met him and he just looked at me as if to say well why you know why wouldn't anybody use a fountain pen of course but um yes yeah, so now I've become a fountain pen user I do write a lot I journal I always have yeah I'm a Gemini with uh, Gemini Rising, so I love communication and writing. So, yeah, I relate to uh, the industry that way, that I am. A, I do journal. 
has it been surprising to you this getting into the industry, learning about it, discovering this worldwide community who you know has a fountain pen show basically every month, uh, depending on where you are in the world. Um, has it really been a discovery for you, or are you just at this point, you know, nothing surprises you anymore? Uh, I wouldn't say that nothing surprises me, but I was surprised initially. Um, when I just saw the enormity of the community worldwide when I started going overseas to, um, you know, investigate the pen community and for myself and start to promote Robert's products there. And uh, so I was quite blown away about how intense people are over pens and ink. So it's, it's wonderful to see that, it, you know, the writing community is very much alive. It's wonderful. You mentioned that Robert brought you on board to look after to handle things like the PR and the financial aspect of the business. As a homegrown Aussie brand, what was in your mind um, initially when you set out to market Robert Oster Signature? Um, Well, look, Robert's ethos is just very much about being... um, Well, he's got a very giving nature, so that's how we try and, you know, um, work. But Sorry, that's what I work with when I look at, you know, PR and marketing. Uh, Robert likes to um, give people the opportunity to do as much as they can with his inks. And, um, I mean, a lot of people on Instagram, you know, can vote for the fact that a lot of time he gives inks away and um, to people who, you know, like for whatever personal reason or stuff, just to lighten their day. So, And that's the swatch play concept. It's not really to generate cash for us, but it's actually to give back and have people come and be able to play with the inks. And a number of people today have said how they really love the fact that they can sample the inks without having to purchase them. Uh, yes, that's... I think that's a great appeal of the swatch and play. And um, I was talking to Mel Sanders, who's part of the organising group. I think you must have met her. We were saying that without that added pressure of having to buy something from the table, um, you also generate uh, sales for the distributors of the Robert Oster inks and, in fact, Pensive Pens, which is the table right opposite to yours, it's a great flow-on effect. So you can try the inks, see what you like, and then just move on to the other tables at the show and then buy your inks there. Yeah, well, it's a balance. You know, like we want to, you know, Robert very much wants to give and, um, and you receive in other ways. And by helping the retailers, by us not actually, you know, selling any ink um, in the regular fountain pen collection, um, but then the retailers benefit from what we do, the community benefits because they get direct contact with the inks that they normally wouldn't get unless they actually purchased it or knew someone who bought the ink and they could uh, sample it from them. So it's a, it's a lovely way to, to put stuff out there and then it comes back because, I mean, we're running a business at the end of the day, but it's not the prime focus of the business isn't to make money but to allow people to experience colour and the beauty of writing. Nicely put. Um, so I've only really been in this community since 2015 or so, and I think that's very close to the year that Robert Oster came onto the market in Australia domestically. And since then, you've really expanded the international retail network. Um, I know you've been doing a lot of travelling this year, visiting a bunch of international pen shows. Um, what has been your strategy to make this 
a really well-known brand internationally and has that been a difficult uh, not not I didn't mean difficult I mean have you targeted each individual market differently say Japan the US Europe has there been a different strategy involved for each of those markets you know the strategy so far is just allowing people to actually approach us and not actually going out there and seeking business um, but what we do do is that when someone you know um, approaches us and would like to distribute our ink, we actually then support them in whatever way we can. So that's where I go out and travel. Like I was just recently at the Tokyo Pen Show with the distributor, um, bringing uh, part of Swatch Play there and just allowing them to see how it worked. And they were really appreciative of the fact that we took the time to go there and you know help demonstrate to them how they can sell the product at, at pen show level with uh, selling the inks directly to the customers but also having the swatch play available so customers could first have a direct relationship with the actual color of ink that they like so um that's that's our, our thing of just sitting back and allowing people to approach off and approach us so it's, we, we don't really like to push yeah it's not a very it's not an aggressive sort of a no, strategy and like a lot of people have said that you know like you know when I talk to them about the nature of how we grow the business they say oh you should be a lot more you know um, out there but you know it seems to be working because that's the whole ethos of, of you know just being um, gentle and giving I suppose yeah I know recently online, I think you've opened up an online store for your exclusive inks. Can you tell me, maybe talk a little bit about the thinking behind that project? Um, I don't know too much about the thinking behind that because that was just something that Robert thought about and put out there. But I think it's um, just to have um, a bit of excitement in terms of being able to just to release a short run exclusive on the shop and it doesn't really interfere with the general wholesale range that goes out to the retailers because we're mindful that we don't really want to cross over any sales boundaries there so they're just small short um, runs of exclusive inks that get released in pack form at this moment on the uh, dot shop do you think that maybe it could be an avenue to test new colors and maybe see um, what the feedback to those colors would be before you distribute them widely is that also part of thinking no, I don't think that it's like that at all. I think it's more about a theme and having fun with a theme, like the mud pack, you know. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't have been the way that I would have described a range of colours, but, you know, it, it, you know, it's wonderful to see Robert do that, you know, and that's his quirky nature coming through. And speaking of the mud pack... Um I know that the response to that has been great and I think the level of the customer service that um, Robert has been providing through the website um, in the distribution of the mud pack has been just overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, yeah it has and it's just beautiful to see people support the uh, shop in that way and, and Robert and, you know, um, Robert really does have a knack of um, grouping colours together that seem to be really wanted at that particular time so it's nice to see people enjoying that. Can you give us any uh, sneak peeks maybe into what the future of Robert Oster signature holds? Like... Where does Robert get his ideas for new colours and where do you think he'll be taking uh, the new ranges in the future? 
Um, I can't answer that because I have absolutely nothing to do with that um, and I don't want to because that's, that's his creative fun side and I don't want to interfere with that. Yeah, so I really don't know. Um, so it's just as it's released, I get to actually see it. So it's as much a surprise for me as it is to anybody else. Fair enough. What's your favourite colour from the Robert Oster in Grange? <laughs> oh, no, it's, you know, like... Um, we've had to thin down some of the colours for swatch play and like we're going to you know, maybe bring it back up to the full set. We've got over 100 colours at the moment in swatch play. But when it, if I do have to take out a colour because another colour's coming through, you know, I do it with great heartache because I actually love all the colours. I really do. They all, I love watching ink dry on, on the card and I like looking at how it manoeuvres as it deepens through, you know, as it dries. It's just wonderful, so... You're not going to pick a favourite? I, I, I can't. I really can't. Um, I could say Toco Blue Denim, but, like, you know, Soda Pop Blue and, you know... I know, um, I know Soda Pop Blue is yeah. a, a favourite for a lot of people. And, um, look, I could start rattling off a whole bunch <laughs> of names, so, yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I don't actually have a favourite because I see each of them um, as wonderful... What, for you personally, has been the most rewarding and gratifying um, aspect of working with Robert um, on Robert Oster's signature? I think it's just seeing how people really enjoy using his ink and especially with Swatch Play, how they connect with the colours. It's really lovely to see how, you know, swatching can brighten people up. It's lovely. Well... I'm sure you had a great day at the I Melbourne did, Pen Show. Is this your first Melbourne Pen Show? It is. Yes, it is. It's you think you'll come back next year? Absolutely, yeah. And where are you headed off to next? Um, okay. uh, <laughs> He's being very coy about this. I am being coy. <laughs> well, where I'm headed off next is back to Byron Bay where I live. So, And then after that, it's back overseas again. So, yeah. Well, stay tuned. Stay if tuned. you have an international pen show soon, yeah. maybe get in touch with Robert Oster and Patrick if yeah. you would like him to appear at your show. Yeah, absolutely. Any suggestions of where we should end up for the next pen show or pen group meet, please let us know. You're a regular jet setter now for Robert Oster. Yeah. Yes, I am. Well, it's been wonderful to talk to you, Patrick. I know that Robert Oster is a very um, private and um, not a very public person on social media but I know that he takes the reputation of his own brand because it's his name attached to the brand uh, very much to heart and um, I really appreciate you for being such a warm and welcoming face of the brand Um, and I'm still holding out to one day maybe being able to talk to Robert Oster in person or even just meeting him. That would be really great. Yeah, I do do say to him, you know, there's going to come a time where you have to at least get out there a little bit. So we'll wait and see. Thank you so much, Patrick. All righty. Thank you, Diane. So that was Patrick from Robert Oster. Uh, Ladies, why don't we move on to the recommendations? This is a section of our podcast where we recommend something that doesn't have to be fountain pen related, although it can be if you would like it to be. Uh, let's start with Sharon. So I'm going to deviate from the recommendation I gave last uh, last week when mm-hmm. we did this, mainly because I had a mental blank and I was watching just one TV show the entire past few weeks. Um, I've now finished said TV show, so the novelty's worn off. It was younger for anyone who was curious, so it, it is a good TV show, but not my official recommendation. My official recommendation 
is that now in Australia, you can get Whitaker Chocolate, which is a New Zealand brand of chocolate,、mm-hmm. and you can get their formerly limited edition, but now no longer so limited edition. The samplers? Je-、oh. Jelly tip. The、oh, okay. Jelly Tip Whitaker Whitaker、uh, chocolates. It's a chocolate block. It's like two hundred and fifty grams, so it's like it's a hefty block, but it's got jelly inside of it, and it's just so good. I used to fly to New Zealand and pick up this. What flavor jelly? A raspberry. It's so good, and now it's available in Australia in Big W. So you can save your flight fare to New Zealand and invest it into more jelly tip in Australia. For those of you overseas, I'm really sorry if you can't find it.、Uh, it's probably hard to find. They're made with New Zealand dairy and and New Zealand jelly. It's so good. It's it's. I don't even like jelly. I don't like jelly at all. I'm not a jelly person. I'm also not a white chocolate person. But this is like has white chocolate and jelly, and it's so good. It's so delicious, and it was a limited edition that is now no longer limited because it's so popular. <laughs> I have so much nostalgia associated with Whitaker. Do you remember those yellow sampler boxes that、yes. they used to sell in supermarkets? Yeah. Love those. I think I still have some of those boxes lying around. Like you know how you use those boxes for things like, I think I have、um, like buttons, spare buttons、mm. from、um, coats and shirts and stuff stored in one of those boxes. Yeah, just very distinctive <laughs> logos. <laughs> how about you, Mel? What's your recommendation? My recommendation is a keep cup because that's my jam.、Uh, If you love bubble tea as much as me and as much as the next person, you need to go and get yourself a bubble tea keep cup from bumblercup.com.au. They are fantastic. I was out in Melbourne last night, guys, and we had to walk miles to go and find somewhere from、um, Chinatown in Little Burke Street to just to, to find somewhere for dessert because every second shop. Up and down the Melbourne city streets these days is a bubble tea shop or a milk tea shop. It's crazy, and the three friends that I were with had no idea what bubble tea was, so、what? they could not have cared less. No, I know, and they just couldn't understand. It's a drink, but you chew it. They just couldn't get it. <laughs> it's a dessert、so、anyway, drink. It's a drink with a carbohydrate included. They just couldn't understand it. But what they did remark to me was the waste: the plastic cup, the plastic lid, the plastic straw. These are fantastic. You wash them out with a little bit of hot water. It comes with a a brush to clean your straw,、um, and they work perfectly. I've got one. My daughter's got one with her name up the side of it. It's super cute.、Um, go and have a look at bumblercup.com.au if you are into bubble tea. Wow, I had no idea you could buy keep cups for bubble tea. That's just eye opening. It's very new,、um, and I really. Would love people to go and support it so that we can continue to stop using plastic straws. It's been ages since I've had a bubble tea because my local char time. It usually every time I walk past, it has such a long line in front of it. Yes, I'm just completely put off. I don't have you know half an hour to wait to get my boba tea,、Ooh. my pearl milk tea.、Mm-hmm. You can order online. Really? On the app? On the app. You can pre-order and then just go in and pick up, which is what I, I do, do that. Yeah, I go、What? in and I say, "Here's my、oh、keep my cup.、God. Put my put my order in my keep cup, please." 
That's amazing. Oh, okay. Wow, you're just expanding my horizons as far as Boba Tea goes. <laughs> um, my recommendation is uh, two restaurants that I ate at while I was in Melbourne last weekend. I, I don't go to Melbourne very often. Um, work doesn't take me there. But the last couple of years, um, I've been to Melbourne just for the pen show. This time I got to stay overnight. So I got um, I had lunch on the Saturday when I arrived and I had dinner on Saturday night. Um, actually went to a pasta bar with Mel, Tipo mm. Zero Zero. On, Delicious. Uh, was that Little Collins Street? Little Burke. Little Burke Street. Really, really good. Bit of a wait if you don't have a mm-hmm. booking, but if you get there early, um, they can seat you in a pretty decent amount of time. Um, before that, at lunch, I went to Mama Cita on a recommendation from Mel. It's a Mexican, like a Mexican restaurant, but at at lunch they have sort of a stripped down menu. Um, really good tacos um they did a good ceviche as well while i was there delicious cocktails i had something called a cucumber jalapeno which was really really fresh and cucumbery but spicy with like chili salt on the rim it was just delicious i'm not normally a tequila drinker but this was it really hit the spot it was just what i wanted off a plane um and landing in melbourne on a rainy day the staff was really friendly. Food was delicious. Um, I think my favorite I had was the grilled fish tacos. Have you had that before, Mel? No, I think um, – did you have the grilled corn? <laughs> you asked me this last week as Dude. well. And Kevin asked me the same thing and I said no. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be spontaneous here, Diana. Come on. <laughs> and I was trying to not go for the obvious – um, menu item because it's the very first thing <laughs> on the menu and I'm like Ooh, that looks best. delicious but I'm not gonna get it because I'm not gonna do the obvious thing <laughs> <laughs> it does look good though so maybe next time um Tipo Zero Zero and Mamacita they're both in the center of Melbourne but do you call that Mel- Melbourne Central Center CBD CBD in Melbourne yep lots of great restaurants in Melbourne so thank you ladies for taking time on a Sunday night to record this again. I'm so sorry for the technical malfunction last weekend. We actually recorded a whole episode and then I realized at the very end with lots of swearing that um, the recording cuts out in the middle of it. Like after 10 minutes, we had another like 40, 50 minutes of it afterwards, which none of us now remember and is just lost (laughs) to... Just solid tipsy banter with Kevin um, and Sharon and Di and myself. And um, I am as well. Sorry that you're all going to miss out on that experience. Yeah, but we had fun while it lasted. We did. And um, we really appreciate Silvana for loaning us the use of that room at the Melbourne Town Hall to record in. It was a nice, quiet room to the side. And we had full use of it for ourselves. And we could spread out on the floor and just do whatever we wanted. <laughs> So that was great. Um, Thank you so much again. And hopefully it won't be another year before the three of us can record across city lines. Um, I know we don't do this very often, but it's great when we can make it happen. Yeah, this is great. Now I have a microphone that works. We can schedule in some time. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Thanks, Sharon. Thank you. And thank you, Mel. No worries. And this is Diana Dye. Past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenipsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenipsection at gmail.com. 
You can also comment at us on the Nip Section Facebook page or at the Nip Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nip Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Sharon Tsar, Mel Sanders and Diana Dai. Recording and editing was done by Diana Dai. Special thanks to Silvana for arranging a room for us to record at the Malvern Town Hall last weekend. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith. Artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. Thank you.